The verses we are going to read, they are just uh, maybe the, one of the last words that Paul got to say to Timothy, uh, the man that he uh, taught and ordained and sent out to do ministry. Um, and, you know, and I believe that filled with joy and responsibility, deep responsibility, Paul wanted to bless Timothy with these words, um, you know, by encouraging him embracing, uh, to embrace two calls that we are now became our own calls. And I want to tackle those with you today. Okay, so let's do the passage and let's see what's in there. Uh, verse 1 on chapter 2 says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You know, let me just stop quickly here. The first part of this, uh, of this uh, verse, right? The passage says, you then, my son. I want to stop right here with you, okay? Because the first thing I see here is that uh, there's a lot of weight on this word, uh, on these words that Paul chooses to address to Timothy. The word son. Um, you know, of course, Paul isn't really Timothy's father. We know that by scriptures because Paul doesn't, is not married, doesn't have children, so, but I believe that just more than just a kind and warm way to talk to, to talk to Timothy, he was actually pointed out to the reality of the spiritual um, family in the church, right? Christianity brings about just the most beautiful way to see the relationship between God, uh, actually the way they look at God and us people, and that's through the lens of family. Um, you see that reflected in the Trinity. We have the Father and the Son figure in the Trinity, right? We see that relationship between God and us, as Galatians 4, 4 says, that on the right time, God sent His Son so that we could be adopted. It could be adopted into God's family. We, we might become children of God. So there's this language, you know, of family that goes on and on in the Bible. And when we think about a church, it shouldn't be a surprise that, you know, that, that the relationships in the body of Christ will be embedded by the idea of familial roles. And that's exactly like God designed. You know, in the church community, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all brothers and sisters. But even though God sees us all as His children, uh, we certainly have people uh, in different stages of the journey. For example, here in this church community, we certainly have people that have been walking longer with Christ, in a genuine relationship with Him. You know? And that puts them in a place, not of superiority, but actually in a place of a more mature, like a more mature spiritual life. Uh, and that is different from someone that just walked through these doors like a few days ago and accepted Jesus yesterday. Right? And of course, this, this new member that accepts Jesus uh, you know, just like a child, we need to be nurtured by the Word of God. You know, we need to be shaped by the interactions that, uh, in the church community. Uh, you know, so, uh, and then, uh, so they can grow in a higher level of spiritual maturity as they go. It's a process, right? Paul says to the church in, Thess in Thessalonica, he says, Therefore, encourage one another uh, and build each other up just, in fact, as you've been doing. So as members of the body of Christ, each one, each one of us have a role 
to play in order to grow, to make it grow and fulfill its purpose. Um, so the word son here, no, it's just a word, but it means so much. It means that Paul recognizes, he recognizes, embraces with joy the call he was given. God made him to be a spiritual father. He was called to be a spiritual father, and God was going to give him spiritual children that, he need, to, that need to be taken care of. So now that we understand the, the lenses through Paul sees uh, its min, his ministry, uh, we, we, get you, we can get you to see the, those, those important calls now, okay? So here's the first one. There's two calls that we, uh, we, we, we find in this passage. The first one is, is still in verse 1, and he says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's so much to unpack here. Just this sentence, there's so much to unpack. Just this sentence is enough to build a whole sermon, right? So how, how, much, how much time do you have? Do you guys need lunch today? No lunch, right? Oh, wait a minute, I'm going on vacation after this. So no, let's keep short. Okay, never mind that, never mind. Let's go. Be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace. This reminded Timothy and, and reminds us today that the primary thing we experience in life is the grace of God. No, Ephesians 2 says, we were dead in our transgressions, you know, in our disobedience. We used to live in sin, follow the, follow the path, the ways of this world. But because God's great love for us, right? Because He's so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when, when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Not by works. But by grace only, not because you do nice things, but by grace only, not because you're good looking. Believe me, one day you won't be, you know, by, by, by grace only, not because you have read your Bible or, or, you know, or prayed every day, but just by the grace of God. You know, that grace only, not only rescued us from eternal death, but also gave us the status of children. The Apostle John writes in uh, chapter 2, in the first letter, he writes, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. You know, we need to get this. Children of God understand they are forgiven people. And they live like forgiven people. The debt is crossed out, it's paid in full. I know, yes, it's crazy. You know, it doesn't make any sense in this world that we, can, we can't earn His gift. We certainly don't deserve it, but it is simply given to us, and all we should do is to receive it. You know, every time I go, I go out with a student for a coffee or an ice cream, and I pay for them, I instantly hear, like, oh, you don't have to do this. Or I hear, like, oh, I'll pay you back. Or also hear, like, oh, you know what, next time you go out, I'm paying for you. You know, like, no, bro, you don't have to do that. Just understand, we're hanging out, I'm, I'm inviting you, I'm paying for the ice cream, you know. Just enjoy, just receive the gift. We have a hard time to receive gifts, I guess. We feel the, the need to just pay back, right? And, and in no way, sometimes, like, <laughs> my students are just like, yeah, no, don't, don't, don't worry, I'll pay you back. No, you don't have to. Now enjoy this ice cream, it's melting on the floor, and then I'll be mad because you're wasting my money. But, you know, but, you know, just eat it, just enjoy with joy. But they don't fully get it, right? But they are not the only ones not fully getting it, right? 
we don't get it fully either. You know, Colossians chapter 2 says that Christ has uh, canceled the debt we had, nailing to the cross with him. However, some of us just live life as we keep holding to the certificate of debt, you know, carrying it and working hard to repay the debt in full. But when we do this, we don't live the life to the full that God promises we would have in Jesus Christ. Instead, we live a life of religious, filled with religious duty that is heavy and unpleasing to live. Yes, we struggle with sin, you know, and sin blurs our vision of God's great grace. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves just like in a down spiral, like into guilt, remorse, and unworthiness. And suddenly we find ourselves prisoner of that balanced scale, you know, like of goodness. You know, trying hard to do more, than, more good than evil. What a trap. And I'm certain that you and I have fallen for this, like, at least once in our lives. Right? We've, we've seen that before. We've been there. But let me say this again, and maybe that's all you needed to hear today. Paul is reminding Timothy and you today that no matter what happened in your life, no matter if you have always lived your life for Jesus and never committed a crime, never did anything morally uh, wrong, you know, or, or, if, or if you came to Jesus uh, after a life full of traumas and shame and addictions, he has always been the grace of God that kept you. Always. Only the grace of God. And you know what this means to me and you? Freedom. No heaviness on my shoulders because I don't have to bear the weight of bringing about my own salvation. Jesus has done this for me. Hallelujah. It is finished. It is finished. So be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And that will give you a purpose to live by that is different than anything the world can offer you. So that's the first thing, okay? This is so important to have. So here's the second thing now. Second thing is this. Make disciples who make disciples. Okay, so now that you got down that we, we, you know, we are firm in the first foundation, which is the grace of God, we fully understand His grace, and that's the way that we live a life to the full, we're ready to get to, do, to one of the most important things you have to do in a Christian life. Let's see verse 2. What it says, it says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people will also be qualified to teach others. Okay, so Paul's telling Timothy here, look around you, open your eyes. You know, look for those who are faithful. Um, who love Lord, the Lord and want to serve Him with their whole heart, invest in them. Those are the ones. You know, some people have just a hard time uh, to see their own gifts and their call, and sometimes it takes someone else to see that for them. For them you know, as, maybe a spiritual father or a spiritual mother who'd walk alongside a spiritual young man or a woman and just do life together, you know, and help them grow in their faith in a way that they themselves start discovering their gifts and they find, them, they find their own spiritual children. You know, I want to show you someone here. This is, uh, this is Pastor Amaury Jardim. I don't expect you to know him. He's not famous or whatsoever. 
But these men had more impact in the church in Brazil than any American theologian had ever had. And all because Pastor Amaury was faithful to his call of being a disciple who makes disciples. You know? He was a church planter, and he had an incredible ability to see people's abilities, see people's gifts, and, and encourage them and train them uh, to do ministry. And like the Apostle Paul, he would go to that to the place, plant a church, he would live life with them for a while, and just, uh, you know, train the leaders, not only in a formal, like, classroom setting, no, just living with them, you know, just walking with them, let them see the, the, letting them see the, his life. And he would set a leadership in place, and then he would bless the church to move on their own legs, and so they could grow. You know, sometimes the conditions weren't great. Uh, it is told that once he started a church, um, he just um, yeah began a church in a property with no walls and no roof. And many times he would spend his own money to cover the needs of the church. You know, he didn't care about money at all. His car was the oldest thing ever. Uh, it was still running, but really, really old and <laughs> not in great condition. He didn't care about money for himself. Never did. He was a very generous person. He is still. He's 95 now. No, and although, he's have, although some uh, serious health issues cause him to stop working actively, the fruits of his work are countless. Hundreds of deacons and pastors were raised and shaped, shaped by his love for, for the Lord and for our people. Some of, the, some of those began seminaries in Brazil, you know, in Bible colleges. And others discovered their call to ministry because of him. And his story actually crosses mine. One of his daughters married a pastor, Pastor Alvaro. And Pastor Alvaro, uh, if you had the chance to sit with him and just ask about the influence Pastor Amari had over him, he would have so much to tell you. Pastor Alvaro was my pastor in Brazil before I came to Canada. And um, about 10 years ago, God called him home. But the thing is, I discovered my call sitting under his teaching. And here I am today speaking to you. I moved to Canada seven years ago, but I can never forget the impact, just the, the influence, um, you know, that Pastor Alvaro and his wife Damaris still play in my life. They showed me there was nothing more precious, nothing better in life, then experiencing God's presence day by day. I want to imitate them. You know, I want to copy them. Their passion caused me to want to imitate them. And isn't that the way it should be? You know, sometimes we are afraid of people imitating us. Along the years I've been hearing the, this, this, this quote says, don't look at me, look at Jesus. I don't know who came up with this, but this is not even biblical. You know why? Because the church was called to reflect God's glory, God's image to the world. And to give them the chance to see the hope of God's glory. And although we're not perfect here, we should not abdicate from our call. We should say, look at me. Because I'm walking with him. Imitate me. I'm close to him. You know, so our call and our vocation includes includes dedicating our lives 
finding men and women that are faithful, training God's grace, and prepare them so they will be able to find more men and women who are faithful, and they will carry out the gospel from generation to generation. You know, Psalm 78 says that we, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, His wonders He has done for us. We will tell the generation. This is not a call for some. This is a call for all of us. Look around you. There are people that are just getting started in the walk of Jesus. No, they will need some of you that have been in the journey for a longer time, There's a lot of, that have a lot of life experience with the Lord to walk alongside of them. Let them walk with you. Let, let them see what you do. Live life together. Do life together. You know, this, this, I love this expression, do life together. There's a youth pastor, a fellow youth pastor, that, that's what she always like, used to say. Uh, I, I had a chance to work with her uh, a few years ago. And she always said that, like, that some of the kids would get to her and say, like, hey, uh, can we do life together today? And you know what that means? Like, it's just like simple tasks of the day. Like, what do you have to do today? Going to groceries? Yeah, let's, let's come together. Let's do groceries together. You know, simple things. And she would do that a lot of the students. And they call that do life together. We need to do life together. We need to walk together. That's how we shape our sanctification process, right? So, you know, so at age 80, Pastor Amaury was getting ready to begin the whole church planter, the whole church planting process all over again in another church. 80. <laughs> you know, and of course, not of us will be called to do the same he did. But there is, uh, there is other ways in which the, the, the older generation can invest their lives in the lives of the newer generation. Now, maybe you don't think you have what it takes to walk alongside someone. You know, maybe you think you, uh, you're either too old to begin something new, or maybe you're either too young to begin something new. You know, maybe you don't think you have anything else to contribute. But let me tell you that it's not time to stop yet. The call is still there. God is calling his church, no matter if you are 18 or 81, to stand and to continue, continue to fulfill its purpose until the end of times. And it is never too late or too early to do that. We must just be faithful to the call, and he will do the rest. I remember when I was age 11, God called me to pray for my friends. And our church was very small, you know, we're just, we're just in the transition to become a cell, a cell church. I don't know if you know what this means, but it's those churches which is in which the structure of the church is the small groups. And some people call these small groups cell groups. So that's a cell church, we're just transitioning to that, we're a small church, we're starting from scratch. And um, we're doing that, and at the time we only had one teenage cell group. Uh, with a few teenagers that gather every Saturday at a friend's house. That's what we did. We gather, sing songs together, talk about the Bible, challenge ourselves like, through the Bible, and then we go to the field, rest beside and play soccer. Because that's what we do. That's what all Brazilians do, right? We all play soccer. Not really. But, yes. Um, my group's leader at the time, he was about 10 years older than me. So he first, I had no idea like what, you know, what to do there. I thought like, he's a leader, he'll do everything. But he first showed me why I should pray for people. Showed me that. 
And then he invited me to lead the prayer time in one of the groups, the group gatherings. He also created a cell, um, he called a cell prayer book. It was just a simple notebook where we, we would take notes of everyone's prayer requests every, every week. So he got that book, and that was a, it's a very cool book, decorated and everything, and organized. And then he would give him the notebook every week and say, take it home and pray for, pray for these people every day. Exactly like I taught you how to do. And I was, I was 11, 12. I was like, sure, I was excited about this. And I would go home, I would, I would spend time on the book, just uh, request by request, every day. You know, he did exactly what Paul was saying. He walked with me. He found someone that displayed love for God and people, and he decided to walk with me. We, we went for coffee, pizza, and we, that's all we talk about. We talk about what God was doing in the cell group. We talk about what God was doing in the lives of those people. You know, and he passed on to me what he learned from other leaders. That's what he was doing. You know, he invested in me. He taught and trusted me with his teaching, and he dreamed that one day that would bear fruit. Do you know what that did to me? So much. It gave me a passion, an overwhelming desire to pray, especially praying for others. Because, I, because when I prayed, God, it was like God revealed himself as if he, he was just sitting on my bed while I was praying on my knees and had my arms on his lap. That's how close I felt. It was almost like his presence could be, could be touched in my room. And I enjoyed that so much. Prayer became foundational in my ministry and in my life as I grew up because it, prayer grew my love for people who were lost and needed Jesus. You know, and one day I had my own spiritual children and I got to teach them this. And I had to entrust them what was entrusted to me. Let me give you a picture of today. 20 years went by since that church started with the cell groups. Cell groups. And my church in Brazil grew from a single, a single cell teenage group and young adults, young adults group to about 20 of them. There's an average of 200 teenagers and young adults now. By the time I left Brazil, I had help training about eight leaders. And from my original cell group, the one that I led, other three groups were born in just a few years. They are still there. A few days ago, I was chatting on WhatsApp with one of, my, one of the guys that I used to see under my leadership. He's a leader himself now. His cell like, multiplied, I don't know how many times already. He's just 18 now, 18, 19, I believe. If you are faithful to your calling, God will continue to use your life and make your work fruitful because it's his work. You know, you might think, but how am I going to do this? I don't have the energy anymore, you know? But remember that he's the one who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his purposes. He's the one. Guess what? It's never about your own strength anyways. It's never been. It's never about you. I'm confident by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. As simple as it can be, you can transform other people's lives. 
For you today, this could mean to find someone to, to walk alongside with and maybe be a mentor to someone. It could mean that uh, it could mean to have you serving in, a, in areas in the church you never, you know, that you haven't thought of serving before. I'm just going to give an example. I have been struggling for almost two years with a lack of youth leaders. And a while ago, God hit me with that. He said, like, who said that a young, that youth leader has to be a young adult? Who told you that? What kind of standards do you use in your ministry? And, and, you know, and we live in a town where it's so hard to find young adults. You know, ladies, there's nothing here. After you, after you graduate, what do students do? They leave Ladysmith. They go to university in Naimo. They go to university in Victoria. They go to university on the mainland. So you look at your congregation and see, we don't have many young adults here. Like just graduated kids, right? You can count them in one hand. So it's hard. So the question God was putting to me is like, so why not having people with more life experience in years to come and serve this youth? Why not? And what if that's you? What if God is calling you today? You know, that's exactly how God designed it. A, a, gen, a generation that serves the next generation, who serves the next generation, and the next, and the next. Church, do you hear a call today? Whatever it is. Spiritual fathers and mothers here today, and I can, I, I'm looking from up here and I can see so many. What are you doing to take care of your spiritual children and strengthen this church? Who are you influencing today? Who, let's make it more like direct, who will you be investing in? And if, that you, are, if, if you are asking this question today, I pray that God will answer it. Do not fear the call. The one who calls you is faithful and will give you everything you need to fulfill the call and the purpose that he has for you. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will fill you with much courage to freely say yes to God's calling today, whatever it is. And I pray that this part of the big church of Jesus, here in Ladysmith, in this town, will be a breeding ground for the rise of faithful people who will stand firmly in the grace of God. And we will trust the truth of God to other faithful people. And spreading Jesus and the good news of the kingdom from generations to generations until the day that you won't have to do this anymore because it's the day he returned and called us home. Amen.